Please uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, we acknowledge that every good gift comes from you. And Lord, we thank you for the greatest of the gifts, the gift of yourself, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have shown us the very core of your being. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts to your mysteries and to be transformed as we look upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is Trinity Sunday. And one thing to put some context, perhaps, is last week was Pentecost. And Pentecost marked the end of the first half of the church year. Because the first half of the church year, we basically relive the main, the, the, the story of salvation, which involves the Blessed Trinity, of course. We start out with an Advent and, and Christmas and uh, Epiphany. We start out with the Father sends his only Son to be one of us, not just dwell among us, to be incarnate, to be one of us. The Father sends the Son. The second part we have that we go through with, the, with Lent and with the Passion, all the way you know, to Easter, is we have the Son has come for a purpose to bring our salvation. But that's not the end. The Son then, on Pentecost, he returns to the Father. He returns to the Father so he and the Father can send us the Holy Spirit. So we've drawn through the whole mystery of salvation in the first half of the year. So the second half of the church year, what we do is we now, with, the, with this knowledge of this plan of salvation, we now meditate on what this means to us here and now. It's the, we call it the time of the church. The normal color, we have white because we're celebrating the Holy Trinity today, but the normal color is green, and this sometimes surprises people. Why green? Well, green is the color of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people say, oh, no, 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 it's red. No, red is the color of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we're told in the creed, is the Lord and giver of life. Green is a symbol of life. So if you look at that famous icon of the Holy Trinity by Rublev, you have the three persons. The one who's looking out from the three has green. It's the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it's through the Holy Spirit that we find our own way into the mystery of the Trinity. So we start this time of the church by meditating on who God is. We've been talking about what God does for half a year. What has, what does God, what has God done? But the question is, who is God? You know, we learn a lot about a person by what they do. But very often, we don't understand really truly what a person does until we know who the person is. There's sort of a, a, a mutual relationship there. Think about people you know. You can judge a person by what they do, but sometimes you can only judge their actions when you know who they are. It puts a context. So the church says the way to begin this journey of meditation and what it all means is to remember we've talked about what God has done. Let's focus for one Sunday in a special way on who is God. Now, God has revealed himself, the first revelation of God to Israel is the fundamental truth about God is God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It set Israel apart from all the nations. It's the fundamental faith of Israel. It's our faith as well. A, good, a pious Jew prays that, that prayer of the Shema, Hear, O Israel, every morning and every needing, and most important, when they're dying. 
It's the desire of any pious Jew that those be the last words on her lips, his lips, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That truth is absolute. And we could have, we're told by Paul, when we look at the letter to the Romans, that theoretically, or not theoretically, he's saying, the, the Gentiles are not without guilt. He said, if you just look at creation, it gives evidence of the oneness of God, of the God's power in nature. We could, even with unhuman, uh, un, un, uh, unhelped, unassisted human reason, conclude that there is, in fact, a God, and he's good, and he's one. Paul tells us that. However, we could never, ever figure out the God is Trinity. It requires God to reveal himself in his own son to reveal that mystery of himself. Only the son can reveal the mystery of the inside workings of God. Now, God, so the revelation in Jesus Christ is God is one, but he's also three. For example, as today we read, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, so sometimes people think it's sort of like I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a priest, I'm a CPA, I'm a bunch of different things. And then when we talk about this, we're talking about this one person playing a different role. But what we made with today's reading became very clear is they are distinct. They are in opposition in the sense one is the father is not the son. That's why they chose those terms in a way, because you're saying you can't be father and son at the same time, the same person. You know, it's one or the other, they're mutually exclusive. So the son says, I have to go to the father. So we can send the Holy Spirit. So one is not the other. These are not different names for aspects of God. Within the Trinity, there truly is a distinction of the father and the son and the Holy, and yet in a profound unity of being. Now, what, because God is three, but he's also one, something we have to understand that we can misunderstand it's easy to misunderstand, but it's beautiful, is everything any per God does, he does together, all three persons. Now, sometimes when we talk about an action, like we talk about, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So we often talk about God the Father is the creator. God the Son is the redeemer, right? He died for us on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. But that's only part of the truth. God is one. Whatever God does, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do each in their unique way. We're told at creation. The Father is sort of the lead. You know, the Father is the most visible in creation, but it says everything was created through his word. Look at the, 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 the words of Genesis. In Genesis 1, how does God create everything? God said. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be a division between the waters that are above and the waters that are below. You know, he, God says, everything is created. John says, everything, you know, nothing was created without him. So the father creates, but he does all of this through the son. And also, when he gives life, how does he give life? Remember, in Hebrew and in Greek, the word, we have a, a single word has multiple meanings, which is very powerful in the Bible that we miss in English. We divide the words. The words breath and spirit and wind are the same word. Ruach in Hebrew, you know, and Pneuma in Greek. So this means, it says, how did, where does life come from? It says in the second chapter of Genesis, he creates man out of the clay, but he's still not living. What happens? It says he breathed into him, breathing the breath, and he became a living being. 
So we're saying that in the creation, we have the Father creates through the Son, and it's the very Spirit that gives life to the creation. So God, Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit are all present in creation. The very first verbs of Scripture, we have the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Right, and then, and then God said, we have all three persons of the Trinity. Well, sometimes we have the idea when we talk about the redemption, well, clearly this is all about Jesus. That's not what John the Apostle says. John, when he's talking about what's really incredible about our redemption, he says, God, the Father, so loved the world he gave his own son. Sometimes it's incredible. We put like God, the Father, and Son have opposite agendas. That somehow God is, is, has anger issues with us, but thank goodness for the Son. And we make sort of this amazing, but we do a theological good cop, bad cop. And it's hard to love a father. That's not true. He says, this is the amazing thing. And all of you so parents, I appeal to you. I can imagine myself, I'm not brave, but I can imagine myself with a cute kid or something giving up my life potentially to throw him out of the way of a pus or something. There's no way I would give up one of my children. So the thing is, remember Abraham, the great testing of Abraham. How do we know? He had done all sorts of amazing things before, right? He had been called in his old age to go to a land he had never seen. And he goes, that's faith. He was told when it was physically impossible to have children, you'll have a child. But that wasn't good enough for God. It was when he said, sacrifice your only son, the one you love. And what does God say when he's about to do that? Now I know. There can be no longer any doubt. So the point is that Christ is the one who dies for us. He gives himself, but it's the father had to give his own son, which John said is the amazing thing. God so lovely gives his own son? He says, you know, this is, this is love. So it's not the father you know, wanted, to get, wanted to get at us or something, and the son threw himself. No, no. Is the father said, I'm even willing to give my son. And, the, and Jesus in God's gospel said, I'm doing this because I love the father. I want to do what pleases him. The father gives the son. What does the son do? The gospels make a big deal that when Jesus dies, because of the difference of the meanings, he gives his spirit. He says his death allows him to give his spirit. So we have, even at the crucifixion, we have Father, Son, and the Father gives the Son, the Son gives himself, and the Holy Spirit. So remember, anything, and with sanctification, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us holy, sanctifies us. But he has to be sent by the Father through the Son. So again, everything God does, there's only one God. So it's a mistake to think that this is uh, not a division of labor. It's just a way that we, we focus on the most visible sign. You know, this is not competitive advantage in economics. Okay. Now, the next thing is, is this important? Is this just a theological nicety, or is this actually some importance to this? Well, it must be important because our Lord Jesus said, as he's giving the Great Commission, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. His very last words of instruction in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's pretty important. It's at the core, everyone who enters the church hears those words. Remember, God is one. We, only, we don't say in the name of the Father and the name of the Son. We say in the name for the one God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this is at the core of our faith that God is one, but he's also three in one. Why is this important? Well, John describing God says that God is love. Now, the point is God exists before anything else does. 
How can you love all alone? And the fact is, God exists as community. Within God, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we're taught is that when we talk about the Son being begotten, the Father gives and the Son receives and returns that love, a giving and receiving of the love. And we look upon that giving and receiving of the love as the Holy Spirit, you know, the, a person of the Trinity. It's impossible to separate them. That God is like a wheel of life. The Father gives, you know, gives to the Son who returns and is the Holy Spirit. And so we have this community of love. So God is a community. That's what makes love possible. Then he creates the world and things. But there's never a time when God was not a community, you know, within himself of, of love. Now, let's talk about our relationship to that community, to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The first thing is, we do, why do we describe God the Father as Father? And it's because he's the source of life, both within the Trinity, you know, the Son is begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So he's the source of life, but more than that, he's the source and also the goal of life. A line I, I love in Tessence, 1 Corinthians talking about what is sort of the, the trajectory of salvation of the world. He says it's this, when all things are subjected to him, he's talking about Jesus, when all things are subjected to Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So the trajectory of the universe is like the Lord Jesus. He's with the Father. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He comes to be with us for our salvation and returns to the Father. Except he came alone. He's going back with the crowd. You know, that's the, the story of salvation. And that's our story with all of us, is for all the world, we start with God. And our ultimate trajectory is that God will be all in all, that we will all be united under the complete lordship of God. So he's our source and our goal. He's the Alpha and Omega that way. He's the source and goal. Now, what about the Son? Well, you know, it's, uh, the important thing here is you can, you can often see things. For example, one of the reasons we have incense, you might wonder, why do we have incense, is in the ancient world, people expressed a beautiful thing of, we, you think of God as being in the heavens, is a traditional way of looking at it. Okay, we can never go there. We're, we're earthbound. So the idea was saying, here's where I want to be. The incense is a symbolic of my going where I can never go but want to be. It, our prayers rise. I want to go to that place. Wouldn't it be amazing? Now, we say, now, that's a nice thought in the ancient world. We can go up in those places, right? We get, we've all been on planes and helicopters and things. Christ is the path to that summit of God. Christ gives us an actual path to reach the goal. Otherwise, the goal is just out there. You know, it's like one of those mountains that have sheer cliffs and things. You say, there's no way. I can see it. I, I see the top, but there's no way I could ever get there. I can admire it from afar. Christ is the actual path to the Father. But the trouble, if you're going to take a path, okay, that's why he says, uh, I, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. The trouble is, if you want to take a path, the older you get, trust me, from the front lines of old age, okay, uh, the harder things like that become. You need a certain energy, right, and you, you, to go up a, mountains, a mountain path, a steep mountain path. 
And so it's nice to have a path, but at a certain age, if you're 90 or something, which I'm not, thank goodness, uh, you might say that I know there's a path theoretically, but I don't have the ability to take it. The, none of us have the ability to take that path. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers us for the impossible, where Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things. It's God, the Holy Spirit, empowers us to take that path. So the Father is the goal. The Son gives us a path to that goal, and the Spirit gives us the power to take that path. That's why we're told that um, I will, like in Ezekiel, when he's talking, what was the problem of the old law? And he said, well, you know, we had the law, but it's not possible to keep it. So what's the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel? He said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He makes possible what, for, what man is impossible, he makes possible, the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is at work in you, both to will and to work. That's from Philippians 2.13. Everything good. We can do things because God does them in us. You know, he empowers us and does all. He even gives us the will to do what is good. Okay. That's why the traditional prayer of the church is we pray to the Father. That's our goal. Through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. To the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this also reflects basically how God comes to us. The, God, the Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son then, be thanks to his death, is able to release the Holy Spirit to us. And we come back the same way because there's a problem. The problem is, Jesus, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he also says, you know, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. So he's the only way, but, only, but the, how does that work then? Well, Jesus is the path, but only the Holy Spirit can bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Conviction, every conversion is a miracle. You know, flesh and blood, Jesus said, has not revealed this to you, Simon, but my heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can give us you know, that saving knowledge of Jesus. So what happens is God reveals himself through the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reveals the truth about Jesus which allows us then to come to the Father. So that's the natural. God comes out this way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we have that order, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we come back. The Holy Spirit brings us to the Son, and through the Son, we're united with the Father. Okay, now let's talk about what practical effect does this have on our life as Christians? Well, I think there are three spiritual dangers. Because sometimes people look upon this like a Chinese menu. You choose your favorite person of the Trinity. You know, in the sense of, I, I love Chinese restaurants, but you go there, you could choose, do I want pork, do I want, you know, you sort of choose the category you want to work with. Okay, and here we're saying, no, no, is you don't choose that, I'm, I'm one of those sun guys, you know, I'm into the Holy Spirit, you know, you know oh, I'm, no, the Father for me. No, you can't, there's only one God, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what's the danger of focusing on one, what's the harm at the expense of the others? Well, let's look about focusing alone on God the Father. The real danger here is, you know, if the Father is our goal, but we say there's no way to reach it without a path, you know, that's a, you know there's no way, with, uh, we can't go up that open cliff, there has to be a path cut in. If we don't have that path, we effectively kick God upstairs. There's a degree of transcendence which is convenient. You know, God is up in heaven minding his own business. 
and we're here. You know, we honor him and things, but he really is disconnected. A lot of people like a God like that. They honor, he's too transcendent to be concerned with my doings, is a sense to, well, I'll just do what I do. Okay, so a real thing is it's an easy way to frankly reverentially, I, I'm in business, this is what you all the time, I'm, I'm an older person, I'm retired now, is if people stay too old and go away, you just kick them upstairs. I mean, you give them a nice title, a nice office and thing, but don't give them anything to do. <laughs> Get them out of the way. Okay. <laughs> but it's easy to do that with God. So the important thing, if we're just saying, we think I'm just showing such reverence, no, you're just saying he has no real effect on your life. He's conveniently kept in the throne room. Now, what about focusing on just Jesus, saying all oh, the Father and things? Well, God is transcendent, and he's imminent. And in Christ, who's being true God and true man, the danger for us here is instead of, there's only, we say one Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we can't separate God and man in Jesus. They're, in, they're distinct, but inseparable. So what that often means is we're just going to focus on Jesus, his humanity, the great teacher, this kind of thing. Now, here's the beautiful thing. What did, what did Jesus say to Philip at the Last Supper? Philip said, Lord, if you just showed us the Father, everything would be great. And he says, Philip, but Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the window through which we see the Father. Have you ever seen this situation where you see someone looking in a window, like a store window, and you say, I wonder what they're looking at. And you go up and you realize they're looking at their reflection. They're, they're, they're fixing their tie or something like this. So what happens, instead of looking at Jesus as a window to the fullness of God, we look upon him as a mirror to my humanity. You know, we make Jesus a mentor and a teacher and a friend, a buddy but not a window to the fullness of the living God. We reduce Christ to human terms, a mirror of our humanity instead of a window into divinity. Then the third is, what about the Holy Spirit, about just focusing on the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, here what happened is the Holy Spirit's gifts, we're told, everyone has, the gift, has a gift of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we all receive the living presence of the Holy Spirit is what it means to be a Christian. We receive that living presence. That's our, our new life in God, our regeneration. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us that everyone receives a gift for the common good. You know, a common complaint you have if you're a priest, you hear this from people. People don't like the gift they've gotten. They have another one they wish they had. Okay. And my, when people say that to me, my response, you don't like the gift? That's great because it's not yours. Our gifts are always for others. I mean, they're not about meeting my needs. Other people have. That's how the body is brought, brought together. Other people have the gifts I need. I have the gifts they need. They're not for me. Okay, so there's a trouble here is we can start focusing on the gifts instead of the giver. You know, these can become an end of themselves. It can be spirituality with a capital S. You know, where we look upon faith, not as getting closer to God, but sort of getting to my inner self. It becomes, frankly, narcissism writ large. You know, it's just always looking at how do I feel about things. And I really believe in the Holy Spirit. I think we all think these things are true. And, but Paul said, you know, this should, the gifts should not puff up. They should build up. So again, the gifts are always... So if we just focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what happened to the church in Corinth is they began majoring in this. You know, where am I stand relative to other people? I have a better gift. Does that show I'm farther ahead? And he said, no, no the gifts are always just a matter of helping out others. You know, don't, what are we always focusing? Or we're focusing on the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We never separate God. That's the balance of the Trinity. Now, 
In conclusion, let's say that the, the Holy Trinity is not an esoteric doctrine. It's really at the core of our spiritual life to have a balanced understanding entering the life of God. Now, the Trinity is our great hope. Let me explain something. It seems an esoteric doctrine. It's not. In John's gospel, he's forever saying, I, I abide in the Father. The Father abides in me. What does that mean? He says, you need to abide in me as I abide in the Father. What does that abiding mean? And what they say is, in the persons of the Trinity, they're one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Father isn't the Son, isn't the Holy Spirit. So how do, how do things work in there? And the, and the church came up with a definition they call perichoresis. And it sounds, I like the word only because I can explain what you know what it means, and you all do, you just don't know it yet. Because your Greek might be rusty, but everyone knows what a periscope is, right? Peri means around. Did I go around in a circle? That's peri. Like a periscope, literally, was you could go anywhere you want. You could go all the way around and watch. That's a periscope. It's not just went above the water. So you go around. Scope means to see, right? From Greek, to see. To see around. So peri means around. And choresis, everyone knows what choreography is, right? Chore, you know, to dance. They compare the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, to dancing in a circle. In a sense, when you're dancing together, at no time, you're not the other person, but it's one circle, a constant movement. So in a sense, you're in all the spaces simultaneously. You know, the Father and the Son, you know, they're mutual abiding. We're abiding in all the spaces. So God is one, but it's like this, you know, but the Father's not the Son, but at all times, they're forming this constant union, that they're abiding in one another. Now, here was the image why we have Rublev's Trinity. We're invited into that. You see, the idea is, if you look at Rublev Trinity, we have the Father, uh, from your way would be, I'd hear the Son in the middle, and the Holy Spirit, who's looking at the others in the circle, but is also looking out to us. And you know, if people are dancing in a circle, what you could do if another person comes up is, one of you can break hand and hold open your hands to bring them into the circle to join the dance. And that's a way of looking at what salvation ultimately is, is we're actually invited into the dance of the Trinity. We'll never be God. We'll always be somebody else dancing with them. But we'll actually are invited into the very life of the Trinity. You know, so we go in. That's, that's what we're called to do. This is what Jesus said. Why is Jesus the only way? Well, sometimes people think, well, couldn't somebody else have those neat teachings too? No. The reason, he said, look, I abide in the Father. And the way you, the, now a human being could never abide in God, because, but since Jesus is both God and man, we can abide in humanity, and since he's inseparable, that brings us into his divinity. So, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who gives us the power to abide in Jesus. So the idea is, in Jesus, we enter into the very life of God. That's what salvation is. We enter into the life of God. We see the fullness when we see God face-to-face, -face, which we call the beatific vision. It makes us happy. Beatific is a Latin word for makes you happy. But the Latin here, just if you don't know, the beatus is like the word makarios in Greek, where we say you have blessed are the poor in spirit. What it means doesn't mean like, hey, it means happy in the sense like a happy ending of story. Things turn out the way they should. And it's saying the thing that will make us what we are created to be will be fulfilled. You know, that's what I think, is when we see God, then we'll be everything we are created to be. So let's have three, close with sort of three prayers today. One, that our life may be a living prayer in the Holy Spirit through the Son, through the Father. Second, that we may be caught up into the love of the Trinity that binds the three persons in perfect unity. And finally, 
that in our lives, God truly may be all in all. Amen.